Betty. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney. What's up, brother? Nothing's up, Andrew. Everything is perfectly normal and fine. Yeah, anything anything going on today? <sighs> nothing, nothing terribly depressing and scary, that's for sure. Oh, dear. Hopefully we can be some kind of uh, removal from reality for you, um, if for only, uh, you know, an hour. That is the function we shall serve today. And uh, Andrew, why don't you tell everybody what a great show we have? Because I I truly believe this is one of our greats. Wow. Oh, my goodness. This show will be fun because uh, the semifinals of the Carabao Cup have just concluded. We know what the final will be. We'll take a look back on uh, those two games. Um we also uh, we have to talk about JJ Liverpool from this past Monday, mm. um, and you know any I guess any resistance that Manchester United or, or anybody have had to calling this a title race. I, I mean, uh, it's still early, relatively early in the season, but uh, it's on. Like we we do have one, so we'll, we'll talk about what's going on at Liverpool. Also, we're going to go in the club, and we're going to do so for uh, for a club whose supporters I think have felt short shrift on this podcast. We're going to go in the club for Chelsea. Yeah, they've they were upset when they went on that magnificent run against Burnley, Krasnodar. Oh, you're doing wow! And Sheffield United, although they had that nice win against Seville, but um, Sevilla. But they were upset that we didn't talk enough about them. And then some other ones of them are upset that we don't say enough nice nice things. So we're going to go deep on Chelsea. Very I can, deep. I can already hear them saying, "Oh, so when we're struggling is when you decide to talk about us." Well, yeah, that's sometimes how it works. Yeah. Well. That's just the way it is. And we've got Liam Toomey from The Athletic who broke the story about uh, maybe a, a rethinking of the managerial role at Stamford Bridge, maybe ongoing or un, may have been talked at the highest levels amongst uh, Roman Abramovich's board. Amazing. Um, yeah. So we're, we're going to discuss that. And um, we've got red cards and man of the match as well. Yeah, oh. I know. And a little bit of January transfer window. There's not a ton has gone down yet, but some of the names kind of being thrown about are are... I think of a level where they're they're interesting, right? So I think I think we'll so see. too, and I've got a little little one uh, for Manchester United fans that they may, may want to tune in for, and also we're going to talk about you. Oh yeah, because you made news over the no. last few days. No, 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 no. No, we're going to talk a little bit about it, not a lot about it, but we need to talk about you. But we're going to first of all, we don't need to. We do need to. But why? We just need to because I made the people aware of it. They all flocked to the content and now they're talking about it and they want me to talk about it tonight. I got a message just before we recorded. Make sure you talk about Andrew and the thing that happened. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later. I promise. That's very broad. That could be many things for what it's worth. But you got to tune in to listen towards the end because it needs to happen. By the way, I did want to tell you that for whatever reason, I don't know why now, maybe it was over the holiday break, people have more time, they're not working, they they binge shows or whatever, but several different people that I know decided that, that late December was going to be their time to binge Ted Lasso. And the reviews are, uh, people think it's, it's Emmy award winning. Like I was the one trying to say I really like it, but it's not exactly an Emmy award winning show. It's just a fun show. People I feel like are going... Have gone crazy with how much they love this show. So, but these are Amer- these are American people, right? So this is the that heady correct. mix, a heady mix of 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 a a a very warm character, British accents, 
constant references to the difference between Britain and America and the weird things they say. I mean, it's just it's it's perfect for that kind of mindless, um, you know, that kind of mindless uh, approach to TV. Uh, it just doesn't do anything for me. So good luck to them. So are you not going to watch season two when it comes out? Jesus, I didn't even finish season one. I got to episode seven and the Apple TV login I was using stopped me from getting back in. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I don't need to see how this ends. Oh my God. Yeah. Not, not for me. I mean, like I can't be compelled to like things. It's not going to work like that, man. You know me already. Uh, I'm not, I'm you're, not you're a stubborn mule of a human, <laughs> but, and I also wanted to tell you, speaking of things that were binge watched, um, so I, uh, I was kind of made to watch Bridgerton. Um, my girlfriend's watching that. I have not engaged. Should I? Hmm. I don't know. I don't. Uh, I mean, I don't hate that I saw it. Come here. This is not, this. This uh, the fact yeah. that you have nothing to say about this show. It's it, not that it was bad. I, I you know I like period pieces. Oh God! I'll say this about it. It is raw. Like it's. There's some scenes. All right. Okay. Well, I don't know scene- if you're mature enough, quite frankly, to handle it. No, nah, you know I'm not. I'm not mature in any way. I, I am a man boy. That is the facts of things. Um, but come here. This is clogging up the works. There's football to be discussed and and not second-rate period dramas. Hmm. Good point. Uh, let's talk about second-rate tournaments and the semifinals that have just occurred. It's within- not even second-rate, technically. <laughs> uh, the League Cup, JJ, the final is set. Spurs... And Manchester City. We say it's second rate. Manchester City take it seriously. Oh, my God, the stranglehold they have on this thing. When Pep's asked at the end of his career, the trophies you value the most, the the European Cups with Barcelona, the Bundesligas, no. I speak of Carabao. It's unbelievable. I I think I saw some sort of number that was put to today. I'm going to be off, I think, by a little bit. But it's something like it's been like 1,550 days since they've lost a game in the in this tournament it's it's truly amazing what they're doing and they win again today against their rival crosstown rival manchester united uh, at old trafford no less and um i guess my essentially my takeaway from this i wonder if you'll agree um because we we've spoken about manchester city in these sort of terms before where you know what we always say like god they're deep and you know like the the wave of of good players that like they can throw at you. I feel like that was now put to the the ultimate test because all we've heard over the course of the past week is, you know, Manchester, they had to call off their game over the weekend last week because of of COVID going through the club and, and, you know, key players and numerous key players uh, having to be held out because of COVID. And so like today you're under the impression that Manchester city is going to have to feel a quote unquote weakened squad. And then you look at the team that's out there and you, you know, you watch the way they play and you're, you kind of have this like reawakening with Manchester city where you think, uh Oh, you know, has, have they been sort of the sleeping giant through the early part of the season? And now like we see even a weakened, a quote unquote weakened city squad can go out and do that to Manchester United. Not that it was a a pure dominance, but I never really felt like they were under threat. It was pretty comfortable. uh, And like, you just you can't help but wonder now with the recent run of results if it's just sort of an uh-oh moment has occurred. If the rest of the, the group in the Premier League at the top of the table haven't done enough to separate themselves and City are now ready to pounce. 
Yeah, I, I think on, on the game tonight, I thought United were pretty good in the first half. I mean, United weren't bad at all in the game, but they, City were just were just much better. And um, you saw the move that ended with with Kevin De Bruyne smacking the post, and you thought this is this is peak Manchester City right now. Um, I can't remember a ton that Zach Steffen had to do. Well, in the eighth minute, he made a great save, and that That's, was really it. That was that was really it, where he tips it over the top. Um, I guess for on on United side of things. Um, United found out what happens when Bruno Fernandes had, has a, a quiet night. Um, Fernandinho was into Fernandes from, from the from the beginning. There was that tackle where he comes in behind just to say, you're not going to get turned. Tactical fouls will happen and you'll be closed down. And United certainly lacked a bit of zip without him. Paul Pogba again, you know, there was a moment in the second half. I don't want to dwell on Pogba because I think Pogba is an excellent player, but he's just not consistent enough for a top level uh, for Manchester United or, or any top level side at this moment in time, um, there was a moment in the second half where he's he's chasing a ball down the line and he looks at looks to knock it past John Stones and Stones Stones in the middle of a Stones renaissance um, just sprints past. That's so awkward. Oh, even say I'm surprised I got that out. But um, Stones hitting form at the right time and or hitting form at any time. I mean, he was the forgotten man, the man with no name for so long. Stone sprints by him, Andrew, and just nonchalantly takes the ball off him and, and sets United or City on another attack. Yeah, it wasn't a good night for United, uh, but I don't think they were terrible. I just thought City were a good bit better than them. And I don't think there's much else to say about the game per se, well, except that except that in the larger context, that's Manchester City swatting aside Chelsea and swatting aside Manchester United back-to-back in the league and in the League Cup. And they are beginning to tick. And that's a concern for the rest of the league. Yeah, Rob Dawson put it well at ESPN FC tonight in kind of his game recap. He said, for City, the past week has been a timely reminder of their quality. They've had their training ground closed because of a coronavirus outbreak and their numbers depleted. But in the past four days, have still managed comprehensive victories at Stamford Bridge and Old Trafford. Guardiola said this week he expects the best teams to find more consistency during the second half of the season, and City appear to be clicking into gear just at the right time. Mm. Yeah. It feels that way. It certainly does, and and it's not like, I, if, if I'm correct, uh, so much has happened today that uh, team sheets are not immediately coming to my mind, but they didn't really start with a central striker. Or no, it was, it was De Bruyne and, and Riyad Mahrez up front. Yeah, so, I mean, that just goes to show you. Uh, but again, the joy on full time, th- this was not something that they took as routine. There was genuine embracing and happiness as they marched down the tunnel and into another Carabao Cup final where they'll meet Spurs yeah. on the way to Wembley. Yep. By the way, April 25th. Yeah, a bit of a break between uh, uh, the semi- I, I know. I know it's because of the, the the current state of football right now with with COVID nineteen and everything, but um, that is an incredibly long time to wait. So many many things will have changed by the time we get to that game. Yeah, you're right. Who knows? Uh, the last thing I would say, I know you're you're trying to transition to Tottenham. I did. Want I, to, I really am. I, I just wanted to say one thing about Manchester United because coming into this game, uh, Ole had he had basically set a bar for United that they expect to win this. He, he said there are no excuses. Uh, so, you know, this was, we can make fun of this tournament all we want, but if you're Manchester United, once you've gotten to the semifinal and Manchester City is your opponent, I don't care what competition it is you're facing them in at Old Trafford, it's a game that they want to win. And they certainly played their A squad 
and they come up short. I would think, you know, for a club that came in riding a wave of, of pretty strong enthusiasm and momentum, this, I'm not saying that they're about to spiral, but this, I would imagine, hurt. This isn't like we, we can treat and talk about this tournament however we want, but I think that this hurt them tonight. Yeah, I think so too. And in the context of of other semifinals, how many semifinals is that now, Andrew, where they've come up short? Yeah. You know, there, there's there's quite a list. And and I think that would hurt because Solskjaer knows how this works. If he can point after, what, two years or how many years in charge, you know, a, a, a brief period of time to have one pot or one pan in the cupboard, that is that is good. That he can point to the progress. He can show you the league position. All right, things didn't quite work out in the Champions League. But, you know, he can say these are metrics of, of improvement. And to not make the big final again is... Is disappointing. It definitely is, and and you could tell it on his face. And I, I think he was he was quite disappointed by how flat things were. You know, they never they never really like you said they never really um, put City under sustained pressure where you thought a goal is coming here. That sure. didn't happen. And credit to City as well. They did defend well. Yeah, uh, like in the first half, Marcus Rashford made you know one of his tricky runs in the box and it looks like he's getting ready to get off a shot. And I forget who it was stones or Zinchenko. Somebody dove in and blocked it. I thought city, they did a good job. And, and I, I thought Ruben Diaz was very good as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, City, City were just a cut above tonight, and, and that can happen. Boy, it looked like a nice little uh, rivalry was forming personally between Luke Shaw and Jao Cancelo. They don't I, I saw that as each well. other at all. Yeah, no, uh, there was a lot. There was quite a few uh, interactions where they went chest to chest. Um, and yeah, yeah, it was a little, little bit of pushing, a little bit of shoving. I think had there been a crowd, I would, you see, you'd love to see that interaction when there's a, a baying mob of, I, I shouldn't actually use that term, but when there is a crowd roaring and screaming and, and there's, there's right. a fervor around the ground. Yeah. Uh, let's move on now. Like you mentioned, Tottenham two nil over Brentford, uh, in, I thought Brentford, put up a pretty good account of themselves in this game. I thought they were pretty good and they are, I don't, I don't think people quite understand it or realize it, but Brentford are good. Uh, they lost last year in the championship playoff final. Yeah. And right now I believe they're currently fourth and are, are within poss- potential position of making another run to get back in the Premier league. It feels a little bit like they're a club that it, it's, I know it's dangerous to say this, but it's, it feels like it's a matter of time before we see them in the Premier league. Brentford are a very progressive club for anyone who doesn't really engage much with the championship. They've been plugging away at at uh, moving up the tiers of the ch- within the championship itself to be a contender to get promoted. They came close last season um, and, and, and they play nice football. But more than that, they've kind of got this whole uh, commitment to to analytics, analytics and building a club in. Um, in in a certain fashion and um they're a good they're a decent side andrew but honestly any team is always most teams are going to be in it with tottenham hotspur just by the very nature of the way tottenham play and um i think if spurs had gone a little bit harder they could have blown brentford out they had certainly spurs missed a few chances i thought but but again the turning point in the game was the 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 offside um where uh who was it It was ivan tony yeah he had a goal ruled out for offside which I mean, Sissoko spoke after after the game with with a lot of clarity and assurance that it was definitely outside, but it was close. I mean, it was really close, and that would have been one one, and maybe things are different then. But um, I thought Spurs were, you know, overall Spurs were fine. Uh, yeah, that's probably how I would describe them. It's it's always important. They do seem to get the that first goal 
more often than not against yeah. their opponents. The problem is they allow late goals, which has kind of undermined a lot of their league campaign so far this season. Um, but yeah, they, they scored first with Musa Sissoko. It's getting to a point now with Tottenham, just the way that they play in attack, where if it's if it's not Kane or Son scoring a goal, I almost can't even recognize it. Like I, I'm so accustomed to only seeing those two guys pour in goals for this club that when you know Sissoko puts in one, it's like oh, that that's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're so dominant. Son did score later on on a, yeah, a good brilliant finish. ball from Ndombele as well. Um, that the Kane Son partnership because we haven't been on since the Leeds United game over the weekend as well, where I thought Tottenham were pretty comprehensive in that victory. Um, but the, uh, the, this, this partnership, they've combined now for 13 goals already this season. That's tied for the most ever uh, with Alan Shearer and Chris Sutton for Blackburn back in 93. That, that's amazing to think of that. Well, the fact that there's still 22 games left and they're, they've already tied. Incre- I mean, it's, it's, it's truly incredible. They're so potent. They may set a mark that it could be unreachable if they continue at this kind of rate. Um, look, ultimately, for Tottenham, I don't know how much like the, this specific game is the story. Obviously, with them in a final, that that's the story, this drought of, of all these clubs. A lot of clubs have longer droughts than them. But for whatever reason, for Tottenham, because I guess they've been good, very good over the last decade, it's a thing. And here they are. This is you know, they, They've been to a couple lost to Chelsea in an FA Cup, lost, of course, to Liverpool in the Champions League, and now they're they're back in another one, only this time they have a manager who was essentially brought in for this moment. And he yeah. has talked about taking this very seriously, and he be- he said we were rewarded for, for taking this tournament seriously. We're into a final, and now if there's a guy who can get them over the line, we've been told that it's him. Mourinho regularly talks about the importance of, of that first league, that Carling Cup. Remember the Carling Cup, Andrew? Of course. Yeah, the Carling Cup win uh, at in Cardiff, it would have been over Liverpool in his first season in 2004-2005. And what did he say? This is a club that has not won in the past or recently uh, in, in the past few years. I know they had wins with it was Gianluca Vialli, but they, they, you know, under Ranieri, they hadn't really, they'd come close in the Premier League, but they, they hadn't got over the line. And he spoke about how it was important to get that first piece of silverware. And I, I honestly feel, think, he, you know, I'm not, again, their league cred- credentials, I'm not going to go over this because I have my views on it. But Mourinho could make this this Tottenham team a, a potent cup side. And imagine if they can get it done against a team and a manager that Mourinho has been able to get it done before over, which is, uh, which is again, yeah, I can't get away from the fact, Andrew, we could be different people. This, These two sides could be radically different by the time this game comes around. So it's, I, it's I, should, so far I, away. Should, I should know this, um, and I apologize if you don't, and I'm putting you on the spot, but, you know, this is, we're just talking here, right? That's all this is. Hmm. Uh, why is it that the final's not till April? Are they Were they hoping that we'd be far enough along in COVID that they could have fans there like what, yeah what okay. that, that was one of the reasons i read for it was that they hoped they could have a, a crowd in for it uh that we'd be further along i mean that does not seem like that will be the case it just know? seems strange that they like they rushed the quarterfinal and the semi like they were basically back to back it felt like with how close they were and now we got to wait months for the final it just see like why why did the quarterfinal and semifinal have to be so close together why couldn't those have been spaced apart to make this feel at least a little less awkward of a wait time. 
Um, so it had originally been scheduled, I'm reading from Goal, for Sunday, February 28th, but in December 2020, the AFL made the decision to push it further into the year. The decision to reschedule the fixture according to the AFL was made in the hope that fans may be permitted okay. to attend the game. Um, but honestly, like I, I, I don't think that's really going to be realistic. Not well, right now. Yeah, and it makes the final literally impossible to talk about. We don't know who will be in form. We don't know who will be hurt. Uh, like you said, we'll all be different people. The world, hopefully the world will have changed and we'll all be vaccinated. That's that's true, Andrew. Uh, so yeah, Tottenham and Manchester City. And you're right, Tottenham have played City well. So it makes it a little bit interesting. Yeah, and I, I do think Tottenham prefer to play the big sides who will play football because it means Tottenham don't have to. They can o- they only need to play in the patches that they need to. And that was, uh, that was a very good uh, dismantling of Manchester City. I don't care what anyone says. Even if it was vintage Mourinho it was still very good in the league and yeah. Pep will be aware of that right that was when the, I don't believe I've seen the word masterclass used more in a, in a week span as I did in the wake of that one and I'm sure Pep is the, that's poster board material right like he'll see oh, that yeah. and be like oh a masterclass huh he'll yeah no Pep, Pep will that will be internalized <laughs> there's no doubt there's no yeah. question yeah uh, let's go back to the league now JJ, and let's go back to Monday where Liverpool lost to Southampton 1-0 on a pretty cool set piece uh, with, once again, James Ward-Prowse, who is a master, you're talking about master class, him on set pieces, thinks one over the top to Danny Ings. But like, we, can, we can talk about James Ward-Prowse, but what a finish from Ings. Sublime, absolutely sublime. Over the shoulder, hooks it into the net, just an awareness of where the goal is. And and a perfect, like a perfect finish. Um, now, Liverpool, again, were caught sleeping. Uh, there was a kind of a lack of communication between Salah and Trent Alexander-Arnold. And honestly, regardless of what Salah did or didn't do or should or shouldn't have done, Trent Alexander-Arnold has got to get his chest on that or his head. In the in, he, he chose to go with his chest. He doesn't get near it. Just put your head on it. And it ends up finding its way through to Danny Ings. I, I I tweeted out from our account. I thought it was a brilliant goal. Anyway, it was well set up, r- regardless of that. But um, yeah, it was a a night of frustration. Let me tell you, uh, as a Liverpool fan, to watch that. Uh, yeah, you seem. I wanted to ask you about that. Just judging off of you know, you and I texted a little bit afterwards. I saw a little bit on Twitter from you. You seemed almost unusually annoyed. Yeah. Um. I I think if there's been a characteristic an in attack over the last three games, the drawn game with West Brom, the drawn game with Newcastle, and now this defeat at Southampton, there's there's just been a a lack of, of cohesion in the attack, a lack of sharpness, and a, a lot of poor cutbacks and overhit crosses. Um and a couple of times where just the the and, and Jurgen Klopp said it afterwards. I I I text you and then then Klopp just kind of spoke my mind for me. Decision making. He said about when we get the ball at the byline, uh, you know, or we work it into the box, the actions in the box weren't enough to find strikers getting free, which suggests that Mane, Saleh, Firmino were just not clicking. There was a couple of times where like, more than a couple of times where Robertson gets in the box. I, I At this point, I have no, like m- most of the time, I don't think Andy Robertson is going to hit the target. You know, he's just not going to. So he, he kind of looks for the cutback all the time. And sometimes, let rip. Fraser Forster has hardly played in the last year. He's a big keeper. It's hard to get down. Let rip low and hard to his legs. Cutting back for, for Southampton to clear it. Now, I must say, Southampton defended 
brilliantly. Um, and Southampton, that's the other part that that really kind of got to me and makes me think about the balance of the side, having to play your two centre midfielders at centre back and having Thiago, who's barely kicked the ball in, a, in, in weeks, in months, come back in and anchor the midfield was, was asking a lot. And you could see it hurt Liverpool to have Henderson and Fabinho out of position and not in the midfield. Um, there was a lack of energy. Southampton brought so much to the to the game in terms of winning the ball back. They didn't do much with it when they got it generally, but it was enough to disrupt Liverpool. Um, the lack of energy, Andrew. There was a, there was a fatigue in the side. There's no question. I think I think we're seeing a a natural fall off. You can't be brilliant season after season after season. Uh, you can't win the amount of one nil games that we did last season. Mm-hmm. The following season, it doesn't work like that. The penalties and the decisions that we were getting last season, we are not getting them now, and I'm not complaining. I we'll accept- get on to that in a sec. Yeah, no, no, I accept that. I that I actually think that's the swings and round roundabouts of football. Um, there was a definite penalty against Newcastle where Carl Darlow, the keeper, just rugby tackled Sadio Mane as he was about to hit it into the net. VAR didn't go for it. Okay, fine. There could have been a penalty the other night. But but penalties aside, Liverpool aren't playing well. So I, I did want to ask you about that, and then we'll move off Liverpool. I know Liam Toomey's coming up in a sec from The Athletic to talk about Chelsea. But so the idea of Liverpool not playing well, we can all we can all see that. We can all agree on that. And I guess the question is, which you have already kind of dug into, but I, I'm curious to go a little bit deeper. I, I guess we're all, because we've seen them at such a high level for the last couple of years, the natural question is why? And I'm just wondering, you know, you mentioned players being forced to play out of position. Is it injuries? Is it just simply down to certain players who are underperforming from yeah. the level that they were at? Yeah. Uh, or is it kind of what you were also hinting at? This is normal. team. Like we've gotten used to Liverpool sort of achieving this standard the last two seasons where they don't lose. We almost forget it, it's normal to lose on the road to good teams. Southampton's a good team. Like this is this is part of sports. Like you don't you just don't win every game, even if that's what we've we've gotten used to with them. Like wh- what is it for them right now? Um, it it I can I say it's all those things? Yeah, of course. You no, know, like I mean, you can't you can't look at the laundry list of injuries and 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 take those players out of a side and not think it doesn't matter. There's also uh, if you look at some of the early games of the season, how important Diego uh, Diogo Jota was into the side. He brought something different. Yeah. You know, when Bobby Firmino was going through a bit of a rough patch, Jota could come into the side and and or even play alongside him and and he could. He, you know, he has that great gift of taking on and beating players. He was creative. He could go centrally. Now we seem to be going around the outside crosses. We're not getting our shots have just dissipated completely. Um, I, I, that's injuries. I think there's fatigue too. I also think that the bar that was set in previous seasons, which you alluded to there, by both Manchester City and Liverpool, was ultimately unsustainable. You know, I, I talk about last season where we won the league. And I often talk about the season beforehand where we went toe-to-toe with Man City, where Jurgen Klopp said, if it wasn't for the amazing Man City being in this league, you're, you're champion. That's, you know, Liverpool set a standard that will win the league in any other year. Literally. It, yeah. So then you have to go and do that again. And now you're expecting it again this season. It doesn't happen. We've had a, con- a, a constricted season, a contracted season, no preseason either. And this is affecting all teams. The idea that Liverpool could be immune from this just isn't isn't the case. I had someone on Twitter, a listener, you know, um, 
getting into me a couple of weeks ago saying, oh, Liverpool are just going to romp the league. Now, what are you talking about? It's going to be 12 points. You're just doing the same thing you did last season. And I honestly didn't think they were playing that well. They had that amazing victory over Crystal Palace before Christmas, which kind of skewed people's thinking a bit um, that, they, that oh, Liverpool are back. And, and maybe I thought that too, but... Um, well, some of it wasn't just Liverpool, right? Like Liverpool had just beaten Tottenham, who at the time of that matchup, that was the title contender. Manchester City had not clicked yet. Manchester United had not clicked yet. Chelsea, Chelsea were starting to fade. So some of it is that, okay, if Liverpool can just be close to what they were, look at the competition. Everybody's fading. Right. What we didn't, what, what wasn't necessarily foreseen was, okay, here come United, here comes City. Tottenham haven't gone away yet. Leicester are, are still... I guess a part of this. So, but I think what we sh- what we should have been sorry to cut across, Andrew. Just I think what we should have been saying was Liverpool are doing so well with absorbing all these injuries. At some point, this is going to catch up. At some point, it was going to, and maybe that's what we've seen over the last three games. Well, I, I want I want to stop you for one sec. So the laundry list of injuries, like I know it, there was a point this season where it, it became obscene, but a lot of those guys have come back. No, like they're they're without who right now? Like Matip is back. Or no, no, he's he's gone no, again. No, Matip yeah. was out. That's why we played two center halves right, right, right. where we did. So we're you're without three center halves. We didn't have Thiago for the entirety of the season. He only came back for 20 minutes. His first, uh, since the Everton game, since the Derby, was uh, against Newcastle for 20 minutes. That was his first start um, against Southampton. Um, I, uh, I'm i missing Joe Gomez. I mean, like uh, Virgil right, van Dijk. The, the three center Diego, halves. Doge Jota. Like, I mean, these are huge. These are big injuries to take. And, and, and you know... As much as I like, you know, Shakiri, Shakiri's never, it's never really been consistent for him at the club. He comes in, he's not going to change the game in the way you want to. Minamino has been, he's had a knock, he's had a few injuries, he's had zero form for the club, not really been very good either. Um, yeah, I'm not making excuses. Liverpool have played bad, but there are reasons. Uh, Trent, Trent Alexander Arnold had a particularly shocking game uh, against Southampton. Got He was subbed off. I think he gave away the ball like, an obscene amount of times. I don't have the stat. He, he was kind of the guy that I was thinking of when I suggested about, are there players underperforming? Yeah. Well, I, I, w- I would give Southampton credit in what they did. Yeah. Underperforming his deliveries have not been quite what they should be. And the things he was doing well in patches against Southampton, he didn't consistently do that. I was so shocked. We had the best move of the game in the first half was that big switch, that big diagonal, which released Robertson. I was like, do that more. If you're going to move uh, a deep lie in defense, you've got to move the ball quickly and switch it quickly, switch the point of attack. Um, and he only did it like once or twice. And yeah, decision-making, Andrew. I actually think decision-making has been a big thing. And how does decision-making fall away? Fatigue, generally. So um, yeah, I, I, I honestly think it's 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 up for grabs. It really is up for grabs. Um, and if I'm Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and I'm... Um, uh, if, who am I thinking? If I'm Jose Mourinho, for sure, as well. I'm I'm telling my players, and certainly if I'm Pep Guardiola, I think there's a lot of teams right yeah, now. I, I, we'll say take those four. I I I think those are the contenders. I'm telling them the opportunity is here this season because because it just is for a, a variety of reasons. Yeah, the the penalty stuff we kind of referenced it. Uh, yeah, Klopp complaining that Liverpool don't get the calls that Manchester United get. Solskjaer basically telling him 
be quiet. Um, the, the the statistics since Solskjaer took over at United December mm. of 2018, Man U in all competitions have gotten 42 penalties, which yeah. is an unbelievable number to yeah. Liverpool's 19. Yeah. And, and this year, Premier League only, it's pretty even. Six for United, five for Liverpool. Uh, the the funny thing to me is that conversations like this, like I don't know, VAR exists. Like if it's a penalty, conceivably it will be seen or not. No, but that's not true. I mean, we've seen that's not the case. I mean, the other night you there was there was two incidents. There was the Kyle Walker Peters, which I thought could have been a penalty, but I was okay that it wasn't. I was like, eh, not sure about that one. And then there was the the handball, which I mean. I don't know how much more of a handball it could have been. Well, we don't know the rule. No one knows the rule. Well, right. Fair enough. And then there's, like I said, I referenced earlier, Darlow on Manny, which was a stone waller every day of the week and twice on Sunday. But I'm actually not like last season. It was there was whole, this whole idea of live VAR pool. That VAR went invariably in our, our direction on these kind of calls. So I feel like as if these... These conversations we have every year. I, if I was Jurgen Klopp, I wouldn't have mentioned it the other night. Well, he's, said, he's a bit of a moaner. I would have said, um, oh, yeah, Jurgen can, can complain with the best of them, for sure. But I, I think all managers do in their own way. Yeah. Whether it's Jose with the, I prefer not to speak. If I speak, I get, you know. Um, I mean, Fergie was notorious. Fergie was brilliant at it. Fergie could bully referees, as could Kenny Daglish in his day. And I'm sure Bill Shankly could too. I mean, they Don Revy sure could for for Leeds United. I think I think all managers have their ways of of getting at top managers anyway. Have their ways of sending messages to the officials and complaining and moaning. And I'm, I don't think uh, Jurgen is immune to that. I wouldn't have mentioned it personally. I think he should have just said, uh, "When are we going to get a penalty kick?" There was enough evidence over the last three games that maybe they should have had one. But I wouldn't. I think these, this is one of these things that fixated on for like maybe. 48 hours and then people generally move on because like like I said last season the accusation against Liverpool was that they were Liverpool how funny was that by the way very uh, all right JJ let's uh, let's switch gears right now let's go in the club as we have been known to do a little more so recently which I enjoy these little in-depth looks at at different clubs around the league last time was Everton because they were they were flying high now we go to I guess the latest club in crisis. It feels like there's a different one anointed that title each week. And right now it appears to be Chelsea. Let's talk with Liam Toomey of The Athletic uh, who covers Chelsea. He joins us now to go a little bit more in depth. Liam, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good. Yeah, it's been not not the quietest start to the new year for, for Chelsea, but we're kind of used to this this kind of thing with this club in particular. We've been too quiet on Chelsea, Liam. Uh, we got when there was that wonderful run of wins against uh, you know Sheffield United and Krasnodar. We we didn't talk enough about it. We got a backlash. So you're on now um, to talk about Chelsea. And um, I suppose you, I, I got off a plane on Monday and I clicked on your Twitter account and the Athletic. You were reporting that Frank Lampard is now under pressure. And I guess the question I have to ask is, um, what what was the the hierarchy at Chelsea thinking uh, would happen with a rookie manager, a guy put in into this position? There were surely going to be bumps in the road, even in, at the start of a second season. Why, why are they wobbling now? It's a good question. Um, and I have to say that as we were gathering information in the days leading up to that Manchester City game, um, we were surprised, uh, well, I personally was surprised at just how quickly things had got to this stage. Because um, 
I mean, on the surface, Lampard did his job last season in unique circumstances and, and quite testing circumstances in some ways. He delivered top four. Okay, they didn't win the FA Cup, but they they beat a couple of big teams to get there. And they it probably would have been ahead of schedule for them to win a trophy. So overall, I think you, you give Lampard at least a, a par, really, for that performance. And, and this was always going to be the real Chelsea job. You know, they... They unequivocally won the champ. Uh, they unequivocally won the transfer window. They didn't just spend big; they spent well, mm. um, and expectations come with that. But the the sense we were getting heading into the season was not that Chelsea were expecting to win the league. They were expecting to see significant progress towards the level of Liverpool, Manchester City, um, and progress in terms of bedding in all of these new players into some sort of coherent tactical structure Um, and I think the stat that has hurt Lampard at this stage of the season is that after 17 matches in the Premier League they have three fewer points than they did at this stage last season Mm -hmm. Um, and there there of course have been mitigation with some of the players we know Kai Havertz has struggled with Covid and and there have been injuries with Ziyech and Pulisic as well um, that have particularly disrupted this team in the attacking half of the pitch but the the kind of startling decline in form over the last month, more the performances uh, than the results, I think has has left a lot of people questioning. Well, most importantly, the the people who make the decisions at the top of Chelsea um, have started to question whether Lampard is the is the person to oversee this this project. And up till now, that hasn't been in question because it's still been you know, t- too early days really to, to to think about it. Yeah, Liam, it's interesting. You talk about Chelsea having won the transfer window from uh, from over the summer or before the season. Um, these were not bit parts that were brought in. It was almost as though they were changing the, the complexion of their team, certainly of the attack. Was it always an unfair expectation to think that it would flow seamlessly right out of the gate? Yeah, definitely. Um particularly when you're thinking about such a short turnaround between seasons. Um, there, there, there virtually was no pre-season. There was no time to do tactical work. There were barely any friendlies. Um, and when you look around the Premier League, aside from the three promoted clubs, Chelsea were one of the only new teams, really, in terms of the, the number of starters that they brought in. And I think if you look at the Premier League table now, part of what you're seeing is that continuity matters. And, and some of the teams that, that haven't changed too much in terms of personnel or tactics are reaping the benefits of that in the first half of this season. So there, there were always going to be growing pains. Um, but I think where, the, where some of the problems ha- have come is that Chelsea still look uh, tactically disorganised at times in games. The defensive progress they've made has kind of fallen away a little bit over the last month and they, they some of the old flaws from last season have come back to the fore of um, disorganised pressing, getting caught with too many players ahead of the ball and uh, and and none of that is a good look for Lampard when you're talking about a coach who's been there for, for 18 months. He, he has plenty of, of mitigation reasons why things are like this but um, the you know the people at the top of the club want to see I think more progress than 
than they're seeing right now. And and that's why he's under pressure. We're not, incidentally, we're not saying, you know, he's going to be sacked tomorrow. Uh, we right. didn't, we didn't, we didn't give a timeline uh, as to when this is going to happen. The, the point of the story that Simon Johnson and I ran was just to say that these conversations have started about who could possibly do a better job with this group of players than, than Lampard. And that's a big development. It wasn't happening before. Liam, um, this is a, a training ground question and I don't know actually how much you might be able to answer, but you're the best man to ask. Like who takes the sessions? How involved is Lampard in the sessions? And because you hear so much about modern football, particularly from people like James Milner, he was speaking out about it's not just press, press, press with Klopp. There's like so many details involved and and so much detail to take in. And I just, I, I don't see that maybe with the Lampard team. So I'm curious, uh, how how are the sessions run? Who takes training day to day? Yeah, so the 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 message that we've been well, the th- the things we've been hearing throughout Lampard's time is that for most of the week, say in a standard week where Chelsea have a week to prepare for a game, um, for most of the week his his coaching team will lead the individual exercises mm. and and organise the individual exercises. He will take a step back. He will step in if he wants to say something to the group or to individual players. And he'll do that fairly regularly, but he wants to, his idea is to have a a bigger overview of the session and what's happening. And then in the day or two before the game, he tends to like his voice to be the only one that's heard um, for for the players. But I do agree that, well, I mean, we're we're not a training every day, so we can't see intimately what's going on but I do agree that when you watch Chelsea sometimes you don't necessarily see that same attention to detail tactically Mm. Um, and so either that message isn't being delivered or it's not being absorbed because Chelsea's press just disintegrates at key points in, in games and it and it sort of feels like every player is acting on their own rather than in basketball they talk about everyone moving on a string don't they uh, defensively, right. you know, if a team is well coached and you kind of see that with pressing in football as well. And I think that's been a consistent problem with Chelsea. Um, they they have tightened up and improved in other areas. You know, Lampard said that they'd looked at areas they struggled last year. And for a while, you know, they I think they, they're not conceding as many goals from defensive set pieces. Uh, they've made smart tweaks there. They're actually scoring goals from attacking set pieces as well. So yeah. they've improved at both ends. Um, in that regard and for a while they were looking a lot more solid defending in transition but that's fallen away over the last month Liam I think one of the things that's that's most interesting at least to me with respect to this Lampard situation is that at Chelsea the name Frank Lampard is not it's not just some guy I mean this is somebody with with true cachet at that club and with legendary status and I'm just wondering I mean I, I suppose the suggestion from your reporting is that that has not bought him really any goodwill in terms of how long a leash he would have. Did did you think it would, or do Chelsea just not operate that way? I thought I'm kind of more surprised that it hasn't brought in more goodwill with the fan base at large. Now there, there are a great number of Chelsea fans that want to see Lampard succeed and, and, and are completely behind him. And and we knew that we would um, get some blowback from, from those fans when we ran a story like, like we did. Um, but there are also elements of the fan base that don't have that kind of or don't feel that kind of sentimental connection to Lampard and everything he was as a player for Chelsea, or at least don't consider that particularly relevant 
um, to to looking at him as a manager and have had their doubts about him from the very start. And I think those those fans have been among the first to to question him when when Chelsea have had their worst days. As far as the club goes, I think they made a conscious decision when they appointed Lampard to try and appoint someone who they felt at the time would unite the fan base. As I've just said, I don't think that's happened, but that that was part of the thinking, I think, after the toxicity of the Maurizio Sarri era. Um, and because they knew that the club were in difficult circumstances with the transfer ban, they couldn't attract a top coach. I think fundamentally it was a pragmatic decision rather than an emotional one born out of the circumstances. And and it, it worked in the short term. Lampard did the job he was brought in to do last year. Um, this is a completely different job now. And so I, I think the the suggestion is that Lampard has to prove himself all over again. He needs to prove himself capable of doing this job as well as last season's one. Um, and because he doesn't have that track record as a coach, when results start to go badly, there isn't much to reassure the people at the top of Chelsea that he can turn it around or that he's got the capability to to come up with different things and different ways to solve problems because he, he doesn't have that track record as as a coach. No fault of his own, he hasn't had the time. Um, but that's all part of this as well, I think. Liam, and I, you know, I don't want to make excuses for Lampard, but to whom much is given, much is expected. The way he talks about the new signings, you know, he, he particularly now this may be just a consequence of the pressure he feels right now. But do you think in a way, you know, he says, he says Timo Werner, you know, he's, he's young. I mean, Timo Werner's 24 and has been to a World Cup. I mean, the only really young player you could say in that group of elite uh, forwards he bought was, was um, Kai Havertz. Um, but do you think that in, in actual fact, these signings all coming at once, this glut of signings, this quarter, quarter billion euro signings, that, that they're actually a burden and that maybe for a younger manager like him, he probably wanted a smaller squad, less options, if anything. Um, I wouldn't agree with that just because I think Lampard would have, would have been pushing for signings. He was he was pushing for signings okay. last January as well when when the transfer ban had been overturned or reduced um, and Chelsea could buy players again. Lampard was was quite disappointed that Chelsea couldn't get anything done last January, um, and in the end, of course, they end up doing the ZS deal a week after the window closes. He he wants quality. He wants these decisions. He wants these problems. Okay. Um, and and equally, he's not a guy that will shy away from the expectation. Um, he's 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 made he's made it very clear every time he's spoken publicly that I I understand what the Chelsea job entails. And he he went into this with his with his eyes open. He knew after a year at Derby, it was going to be a very very steep um, climb for him. To, to reach the level to to survive in a job that very few managers have survived in for for a long period of time, um, and he, he was also central to the efforts of pitching to Havertz and and Werner. He he wasn't necessarily the guy who identified them as targets for Chelsea, yeah. but he did call, he called them. He he spoke about a three year plan. He talked about how he saw them fitting into his team. So I think he 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 did push for these signings and he wanted to have this squad but wanting to have the squad and then navigating the problems that 
a squad that size brings is two different things. So, so in your piece on the Athletic, um, which is brilliant, and I, I would tell everyone to go to go and have a read of it um, and read all your stuff, really, because if you want to stay in tune with Chelsea, Liam's the man to go to. But you you mentioned dressing room unrest. So what what um, what cohort of players is, is that coming from? Well, I think to a certain extent, this always happens. No, no manager can keep an entire squad happy. The players that, that aren't playing, the players that he has to regularly disappoint are going to be grumbling. And when the team is winning, that's not an issue. Um, when the team is losing, it becomes something that the manager can be criticised for internally and externally. And because Chelsea have such a large squad uh, and they maybe didn't offload as many players as they, as they could have done, like in the last transfer window, with the caveat that it was a very, very difficult window to offload players, um, there was always going to be the potential for this, and it and it made Lampard's job trickier than maybe it, it needed to be in order to manage the dressing room. But that that's the the sense that we're getting is that some of the players that aren't playing that don't feel like they've been given a fair chance, and that includes some you know some pretty established names, established internationals. Mm. Um, there's there's tension there and some of that is normal tension and some of that is is heightened because the team is struggling Liam one more from me this of course is a, an ESPN podcast we're based in the US we are regardless of who we support we're always keeping a, a watchful eye over Christian Pulisic from our vantage point regardless of Chelsea struggles he has been one of the brighter spots now full disclosure JJ and I we've said that before and Chelsea fans have sometimes told us oh you're biased what is the perception of how he's performing for them right now? I think he's been he's looked good when he's played. Uh, the, the issue hasn't been really his performances; it's just been his availability, and uh, and I think that's the only concern that anyone at Chelsea has about him going forward. He, he I think, he answered a lot of questions last year with those with those two stretches in the team, one towards the end of 2019, and then again coming back into the team. Uh, during Project Restart, where he proved that he he can be a pillar of a great Chelsea team. You know he he is he is a match winner uh, with his speed, with his ability to to navigate tight spaces, mm-hmm. to commit defenders, and and create opportunities for himself and others. He's he he's certainly someone that they they are looking to build around now. Um, but the issue is that he needs to be durable enough to 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 merit being built around. I mean, they have other top players that they can build around as well. And um, the the hamstring injuries are a concern and they were a concern at Borussia Dortmund. They're, they're continuing to be a concern at Chelsea. And I think if they can find a way maybe to tailor his, his fitness regime, we've seen it with players before. They, you can find ways to, um, to manage them through seasons. And this is a particularly difficult season to manage because the games are so close together. But as long as he stays fit, I think he's going to be a key part of what Chelsea are doing. And, and Chelsea would like him also to stay fit because it means that you don't have to expose Timo Werner every three days in the way that they maybe have been so far this year. Pulisic's a, a key part of what Chelsea are doing. Good stuff, man. I guess as a note to close on, where do you see this going? Is this going to continue to spiral or do you think at some point they'll, they'll level off and right the ship? Yeah, so I mean, they've got a slightly more favourable run of fixtures coming up. The opportunity is there for for Lampard to 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 win a, a fairly straightforward FA Cup game and then 
get a few Premier League points on the board and things start to look a little bit better. They are only three points off fourth place. So it's it's not panic stations in terms of Champions League qualification, which is always going to be the red line as far as Chelsea are concerned. Um, but the, the point of our story was simply to signal that the conversations about whether Lampard is the right man to, to lead this project have started and the history of the Abramovich era at Chelsea tells us that once those conversations begin, they tend to only end um, one way for, for the manager that, that's in charge. We've, we've, we've seen this movie before. Yep, certainly have. Liam Toomey, good stuff, man. Everybody check him out at The Athletic, uh, also on Twitter, at Liam underscore Toomey. Appreciate the time, man. Thanks. Pleasure, guys. Great stuff from Liam Toomey there, Andrew. I, I found some of that really, really fascinating, um, especially the stuff about about the training ground and, and how he does that. Like His career as a manager has been fast-tracked, and I feel as if he's fast-tracked himself to like mid to late stage Fergie. Like Fergie took all the training that United and Aberdeen early on. And then as time moved on and as coaching progressed, he took a step back. Lampard's already taken that step back. It sounds. Yeah. What was interesting to me is like, you know, I I asked Liam about the legendary status. I, I just feel like that's, it's always like, it's fun when the legend comes back to manage the, the beloved club and mm. you know that that first press conference is great and the fans are are high-fiving each other just to see him back with the scarf again and in, in the sure. stadium um but it's nostalgia but, but then the games happen mm. and like last year like we said they they probably exceeded expectations last year with a young squad looting eden hazard losing eden hazard it was it was going to be difficult and they qualified for champions league they made a deep run in the fa cup it was it was a good season for them and i don't know that everybody thought it was going to go that way and now you know, the, the expectations, fair or not, have been ratcheted up. And what they did in the in the transfer window has ratcheted up the expectations even higher. And it's it's proving to be a little bit difficult for him to cope with. Now I will say I'm sub- Liam's report, the athletics report, um, when I initially saw it, was surprising to me. My initial I, I don't know about you, we haven't really talked about it, but my initial reaction when I saw it was that's premature. Uh, I'm wondering what you thought. My reaction was uh first of all, ooh. Oh, I was a bit shocked. And then the second one was, because he is a club legend, He, sh- I expected a longer leash. And then the second thing I thought was, well, like, what did they expect appointing a rookie manager? Like a manager who'd never managed at that level before. This is his, he's two and a half seasons as a manager, counting this season. You know, uh, there's an a- interesting article on Sky about where Harry Redknapp, I, I think he says way too much. So... When Frank was was searching for jobs to start his managerial career, Ipswich wanted him as manager. Now, he'd be in League One if he took the job. And Harry dissuaded him. His uncle Harry said, no, don't do that. You're going to want some help. Harry talked Mel Morris, the chairman of Derby, into taking Lampard on. Mm. You know, I thought Lampard getting Derby off the bat, because Derby are a huge club, comparatively speaking, in championship terms. I thought that was, I thought he was lucky to get that job, you know? And and so if Chelsea are going to take him with the full knowledge that this guy has very little coaching experience and has proven nothing as a manager, like, what do they expect? I mean, what, like, if the first serious, long, sustained bump in the road, there were bumps last season, let's be, let's be honest, but the first long, sustained bump in the road and they're just going to pull the plug. The other side to it is, look at the, some of the managers Chelsea have sacked with exceptional CVs who've got the door. 
Yeah. You know, <laughs> Scalari springs to mind. Ancelotti springs to mind. And so the, the other argument is why on earth would Frank Lampard deserve any longer than that? So, right. right. That's, that's sort of the cold view, which yeah. is not, I'm not saying that's wrong, but like, you, like we both mentioned, he's yeah. not, that's not just some guy. Frank Lampard at Chelsea is not just, that's not some of these other guys. He's, you, he's been a regard with them. You you met, you brought up a good point, and and this is the final one I think I want to make on this because I just get called a Frank Basher again. But you brought up the interesting one where you thought that the fans would have stayed on side with Frank a little bit longer, and I wonder, you know, the modern internet fan. I I think the fan, if there were fans in the ground, I I still think they'd be behind him. I think so too. I'm putting a lot of faith, but I'm putting faith in in, in those who go week in week out. But like. The kid in Wisconsin who barely rem- who got caught the tail end of of Frank Lampard's playing career, he's not he has no uh, real attachment. He can right. He, he can says call Frank him, Lampard. That's a Manchester City player. Yeah. He, well, maybe m- maybe not that, but he has no emotional investment to that. So he's tweeting away Lampard out. You know, it's a modern phenomenon. I I, I think Twitter versus the, this the the fans in the stands is a different you know a different reality, and I think um I think it. Fans right now, I certainly don't think they go the way they did halfway through the Sari season where they started booing him and and, and chanting Sari ball. What did they say? Oh, F Sari ball. No, that won't happen. I, I can't envision that happening with, with Frank. The, uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you about this before we move on, um, Darby compared to Rangers, I don't know if it's necessarily a like for like comparison, but is there any sort of like watching Lampard's situation play out hearing about Klopp saying that he wants to step away from Liverpool maybe in like a couple of years. Is there any sort of like looking into the crystal ball and feeling like this is Steven Gerrard's future with Liverpool? Oh, um, I'm resistant to the clamor as good as a job as he's done at Rangers so far. And he has, that is such a, a decidedly lower level than what he would be stepping into at Liverpool. I, I, you know, you can say what you want, but like Celtic are terrible right now. Celtic, I wouldn't, you can't trust Celtic to go into Europe and beat the Bulgarian champions mm-hmm. or, or Cluj or whoever they play. So, you know, um, the standard in Scotland is dire. And I, I do think he's turned Rangers around and he's done a good job. But no, I, I you're giving me chills when I hear that kind of stuff. But you but, know, I mean, but I whether, do think, whether, however you feel about it, you know, uh-oh. like his name will be at the top of, of the list. I if if I'm FSG, I resist those overtures unless he comes. I, I would actually prefer him to go and manage another Premier League club, a smaller one, maybe one that's not a direct rival of Liverpool's and, and prove his onions there, you know, prove his metal there. You know, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want him coming into Liverpool just like that. I would, I would resist that at all costs. And, but I would say Gerard is kind of doing it the right way. You can't say he's not earning his stripes. He went to a bankrupt Rangers team with, I know they've made funds available uh, to him, certainly, but he's gone in there and at least he's getting a few seasons under his belt. Like Lampard didn't even do that. Like what would have been wrong with another season at Derby County? Like the lure of Chelsea was that strong. He knows the inner workings of this club. He's been on Roman Abramovich's yacht. I'm sure they've discussed managers. I'm sure that Roman Abramovich has called John Terry and Frank Lampard to feel them out over, hey, do you think we should get rid of Robbie Di Matteo? Do you think we should move on from X or Y? I guarantee it's happened. So he knows the functions of this club. I'm surprised he took it so early in his career. But, you know, again, that's, 
that's kind of the rarefied air that the Rednaps and the Lampards of this world operate. They're football, they're footballing institutions on their own, and, and they can do things like this where other mere mortals can't. Right. Well, uh, that's, I'd say that kind of puts a bow on Chelsea. Uh, our, our thanks again to Liam Toomey from The Athletic uh, for joining us to go in the club with, uh, with Chelsea. Good stuff. Uh, let's move on now, JJ. I know I referenced it a little bit at the top of the show. The January transfer window is open. Yeah, and you've made a dispersy transfer window. Yeah, although I, I've I've amended that a little bit since you and I since the rundown was compiled, but I made it spursy not not because that's where my head is, but it just it does feel like Delhi Alley, Christian Eriksen, although he's Inter, I, I know he still feels spursy to us, <laughs> but th- those two names have have been dominant. Uh, I, I know. Look. I don't take the Pogba January rumors seriously. To me, it's not it's not worth really dignifying that. I, I can no. say that right now and be made to look like a fool a couple weeks from now, but there's no part of me that believes Manchester United has really uh, any reason at this point in the midst of a title race with the way that he's been playing for them, which is I think overall pretty good. Okay, it's just not. I don't I don't take it seriously. So for me, you know the the Pochettino move to PSG, Deli Alley falling out with Mourinho. Uh, to me, it there's it makes sense. Like those are pieces that add up to me, and I think Ali's drop at Tottenham has been uh, dramatic. It's been pretty sudden. I think from where he was maybe three or four years ago, we can all see that he hasn't quite continued at, at the trajectory that we thought maybe he was going to be. It looked for a time being when he was 19, 20 years old that he may click on and become the star of, of England's national team. That has not happened. He's plateaued. He's still good. But for whatever reason, he is not doing the things that Mourinho wants him to do. I don't know how much of it is training. In the documentary on, on Amazon Prime, that was well documented that Mourinho did not think of much of him as a guy in training. And so it feels like it makes sense for this relationship to end. Uh, so I, that's one, like I said, with Pochettino at PSG, I could see that. The, the pieces fit to me. As for Christian Eriksen, it has not worked at Inter at all. Uh, he's he's become almost a bit part. He seems to want to move back to the Premier League. And I, I'm so curious as to who that team will be because there was talk that he wanted to go back to Tottenham. Tottenham did not want him to leave. Another thing that was well documented in the, the Amazon Prime documentary on them. They did not want him to go. It was all him. So now if he wants back, I wonder how they feel about that. I, I just think that the budgetary restrictions on having him back, considering you've got this massive albatross of paying the wages of Gareth Bale, um, Spurs financially, like a lot of clubs, particularly a club that's just built a billion-pound stadium, is not in great shape. And they do have to ma- manage these things. And he will come back on big wages, Andrew, if you do have him back. So I'm not sure what happens there. Uh, there was this wild rumor about Arsenal. I don't think he want to do that. That 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 to me would be, yeah. I would I I wouldn't advise him to that. So it's it's I'd be curious where Ericsson could end up. I had this wild notion that popped into my head mm-hmm. about him being involved at Wolves. If that's something that could happen, he's not Portuguese. <laughs> yeah, no, it just popped in there. So I I don't know where to be a landing well, wh- spot. Where did that notion? That's just from the mind of JJ. That's no, but feels uh, feels pretty outside the box and one that I. I don't know. That would just surprise me greatly. Maybe. uh, Yeah. I'm not sure he fits at all. Uh, It just popped into my head that, you know, they've lost Jota. 
um, maybe something a little bit more creative um, for maybe for teeing up Jimenez when he comes back. Don't don't really know. Just popped in my head because I because I basically haven't thought about this and I don't see a landing spot for. This is your way of saying I don't care. I, Can we stop? I, I Christian Eriksen is is not as interesting to me as where Delhi Alley might end up because you say it seems like a good fit for him to go and join, rejoin Poch. Um, I'm just wondering if that's kind of a loaded area there. Um, what and do you I mean? all, the, they they have a plethora of attacking talent. Um, now could 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 I see a way in which he you know comes in and and does well, but. You know, there's a lot of people to keep happy there is what I'm saying, who are already on the books and aren't going anywhere. Now, if Draxler leaves, the, the Draxler to Arsenal rumors have, have emerged. So maybe if, if Draxler leaves, but, he, but I mean, it's not like Draxler is an automatic starter for PSG. No, he's not. Yeah. So I, I honestly don't know what happens there, Andrew. Well, right now, if you're Deli Alley, pretty much anything is better than the current situation if you want game action. Yeah. Can we talk about something interesting, Andrew? Not yet. <laughs> I, I demand we remain uninteresting. I have one more uninteresting topic uh, while we're talking about the January transfer window. Uh, Mesut, Mesut Ozil, JJ, I saw his agent spoke to ESPN and said that some sort of resolution is coming within the next few days, not Ooh. weeks, days. Now, there are rumors about Fenerbahce. Uh, and then there are rumors about DC United. Talk yeah. about opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, there are. Um, the the rumors about DC United came flying through and were greeted with a great appetite by MLS Twitter, only for one of the doyens of MLS Twitter to pour cold water on the whole thing. Um, I'm searching for the tweet right now. Ah, Pablo Maurer, who is just uh, one of the best he said, I'll just retweet this from a while back. Nothing to the Ozil to DC rumors, club sources tell me. So I, I would be I would go with Pablo on all things DC and So who's leaking that? Like how does it serve Ozil and, and his side of it for DC United to be used as some sort of Oh I I, I mean I mean going to going to MLS is is an option for players now, obviously, like for high profile players, and why not use them? like anybody else would why wouldn't you just use it for someone an agent to leak that out and generate a bit of interest yeah makes sense to me why not dc united <laughs> why not dc united why not you be the part of a rumor but never actually get the it's bird? just funny that he's only 32 i feel yeah. like just feeling that he's just done as a player he hasn't played since when since march for arsenal like march 7th <laughs> we're coming on almost a year without him playing and he's healthy it's just like I don't know. It's just it's, his situation is so odd. Yeah, and 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 again, uh, you'll you'll MLS people will forgive me for saying I feel it would be sad for him to cash in the chips and come to MLS right now. Why? I'd like because I think he could do a job at a, still do a job at a top European site. You you think that too? He's quality. He just well, I suggested have... that Arsenal should give him another chance. Well, I would agree with that, but that's that's Clearly, another... that ship has sailed. Yeah, and and also, you know, maybe he is the last of a of a dying breed of player who is the luxury player, the player who can do amazing things for your team, but is not going to give you the pressing stats that is going to make the analytics guys purr. Yeah. Maybe he's a fish out of water. Maybe the game's moved on. Maybe that's it. There, 
Maybe. I got to believe that there's always going to be a place for a, a, a gifted passer, a playmaker. Okay. Like a lot of these guys don't make it a habit of tracking back and defending. It's not the only, he's not the only guy. No, I, 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 I'm, I'm aware of that, Andrew, but the skillful, creative players have that in their game right now. There is a, there, that is such a big part of it. One, one day I feel like we'll, we'll learn more about exactly what it was that went on here. It just feels, I don't know. This all just feels weird and, and borderline suspicious as to how he cannot play for, for a team that is struggling. Although I know they're playing better of late, but over the grand scheme of things, struggling, struggling in their playmaking in setting up Obama Yang, Lacazette, like it just, please, Please now, can I talk about something interesting? Because, because like, oh, we could go on about Ozil all night. I feel like he's could a repetition. We? I think that was an appropriate amount of time. No, what is it too- that you have? Um, Moises Saicedo is locked in for talks about a possible transfer to Manchester United, according to our very own Tim Vickery, who described the Independiente del Valle midfielder as the real deal Holyfield mm. and the genuine article on Sky Sports. Now, you and I both know that the Wikipedia knows his onions about South American talent. Mm-hmm. If United can lock in a 19-year-old that, that, that is that talented for their midfield right now, that is, that is a coup. That is a real coup for them. Yeah, and I wonder if it finally marks an official end to any Jaden Sancho rumors. Yeah, I, 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 I wonder about Sancho now. I, I, will there ever be an end to that rumor? I just don't know. Anything else on the uh, the docket for January? Can we move on to another interesting story? One that I've seen you have yeah, any opinions on? No, I, I don't like transfer rumors, but I just thought that one was kind of saucy. That one was interesting, and it'll keep United fans happy. Okay. Um, yeah, let's move on to something more interesting. So, Kieran Trippier, does he need new friends, is what no, I'm wondering. No, I've, I've been quite exercised by this story, Andrew. Do you want to fill in the flesh of the story for people? He has been banned 10 weeks and fined, what is it, 70,000 euros yes. uh, for, how, how would you term this? A breach of the FA's rules on betting is the best way to describe it. Here's the story I will read here. Uh, Kieran Trippier told a friend to, quote, lump on his transfer from Tottenham to Atletico Madrid, according to the Football Association's Independent Regulatory Commission. Hmm. Now, the exchanges here are very, uh, this is interesting, good reporting, I suppose, to to have all this. Well, well, he had to, he turned his phone over. Voluntarily, yeah. For the investigation. It was discovered that in mid-July 2019, Trippier's friend, Oliver Hawley, placed 10 separate bets, ranging from 20 pounds to 65 pounds, on the fullback joining Atletico. Boy, those are small numbers. Just considering. Now I'll continue because the numbers. Oh yeah, they're they're nothing numbers. The numbers do grow, but um, man, for him to be in this kind of trouble over just like these kind of menial bets. Uh, after placing one bet, Holly sent Trippier a message reading, "Quote six to one, Atletico Madrid." To which Trippier responded with three laughing emojis. On July twelfth, Trippier texted Holly saying, "Quote it's happening." Shortly before Hawley placed two more bets on the move to the Spanish side. On July 14th, two days later, another friend, Matthew Brady, met Trippier at a wildlife park. I guess that's a zoo. And later texted to ask, shall I lump on you uh, going there? Trippier later said, lump on if you want, mate. As the transfer came closer to being finalized, Hawley and another two friends placed further bets ranging from 20 pounds to 300 pounds. When Trippier messaged a WhatsApp friends group saying, quote, done deal. He received a text from Brady saying, quote, could only put a little bit on, mate. They massively restricted the bet. 
Keep me posted, pal, to which the player replied, no worries, mate. So essentially what he did was he was feeding his friends inside information that was no. not available to the public. No, he wasn't really. What, what, he was do- what he was doing was they were asking him a question. His friends were asking him a question and he was answering it. Um, he said, lump on if you want. If you want is doing a lot of heavy work there. If you want, if you ask me, when you ask me to do something that I don't want to do, you know, see a movie, like see whatever movie. And yeah, we can see that if you want. The if you want is just like, that- I'm washing my hands of this. That- that's true. Yeah. He did. He did met, have the one message saying "done deal." Sure, but but again, like he's not allowed to talk to to friends about where he's going. You're right. Like, Look, the house is wrong here. Why this is the house intruding on what a footballer can and can't say? Like he did not. Like I, I here's my conversation from last night from uh, with Adam Crofton of the Athletic and your your good mate um, from the Guardian Football Weekly, Barry Glendening. Um, so so Barry Glendening says, but he didn't tell his mates to lump on. He very much conveyed the impression he did not care whether they lumped on or not. Lump on if you like, mate. Translation, it's entirely up to you. I chimed in. I said, agree, Barry. There was absolutely no initiation or encouragement from Trippier to his friends to place bets. Adam Crafton replies, I'd accept not initiation, but I'd certainly interpret it as endorsement encouragement. I says, I don't know, Adam, maybe that's not how it reads to me. The if you want is doing a lot of work for me in suggesting there is no active encouragement from Trippier. And as Barry Glendening says, you can absolutely guarantee that the bookies benefited more financially from that endorsement than his mates did. But they still go cry arsing to the FA, risible behavior. And that's where I'm at with that. So this is betting moving into an area like at what point andrew where somebody tells someone else and somebody tells someone else and somebody tells someone else what he originally told like say say his he told his wife he tells his wife i'm going to atletico madrid and she, it slips out at the at, when she's going to do this meet her friends for a coffee and then that friend tells someone else and the money's lump, money is put on it like this to me is too far totally far fair. Too far. and it's football and like I accept gambling as a part of football, but this is gambling crossing a line, and um, and this is football actually protecting gambling and not footballers. So two things that are interesting to me here. First off, I, I do agree with you, and I'm actually kind of surprised that this is a thing that you can bet on. Like it seems so ripe for this sort of correct uh, action to occur. And the other thing, the, the only reason that I said I wonder if he needs new friends. Like the 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 sums of money in which they were dealing in aren't crazy to me. So I just like I feel like somebody had to have spoken. Like somebody, one of these guys had to have said the wrong thing to the wrong guy. Like joking, like oh yeah, he's a buddy of mine. I should know. Like I feel like this. That's the these the amounts of money that we're talking about here aren't so great, or maybe they are. I guess if somebody placed a three hundred pound. Bet on what was that six to one? I guess that is now we are starting to talk about a little bit higher sums of money, where maybe but, but it was I, looked into. But I just wonder, like somebody, someone had to have made it known that they were friends with him at some point along the way here. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, and and I see your point there, but I also think that that Trippier is is very very innocuous. 
casual. If 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 people are in your WhatsApp group, generally on generally you know them and they're friends of yours, and you're just you're just telling them about your life or whatever. Lump on if you want is really really casual. It is not an initiation. It is not telling them go do this now because you'll make money. Like the Daniel Sturridge case was a little bit different, and I still don't think it was fair what happened to him either. But if you look at the the evidence from there, it was a little more coordinated. But I do think ultimately it comes comes down to the fact that the line, that betting line, and the house are wrong, what? not football. One thing that I'm also curious about. So when this when this initially came down, Diego Simeone was so angry about it. He said, sense. he said, why should Atletico Madrid be punished for something we had nothing to do with? To that, I would say, well, oh, oh, put aside for a second whether or not you think it's right that Trippier is is being punished for this. Put that aside and just deal with the facts that he is. Like Then, then who should be punished? Is Simeone suggesting just find the player and end it? I mean, don't the punish anyone. Well, look, again, I'm not saying I'm not we're not debating anymore whether or not it's the punishment is fair. Let's just say the ruling has now come down. It's not like it, that part is over and done with. Hmm. So once the ruling is down, there has to be punishment. They have to discourage this sort of behavior. Uh, and so, like, who then is supposed how is the punishment supposed to be handled? Yeah, I'm sorry that Atletico Madrid is the collateral damage. The player has to be suspended if he violated gambling laws. However dumb they may be, again, that's not what I'm talking. I'm not passing judgment on that. I'm just saying, once you violated the rules, it's got to be suspended. So, like, who, what is Simeone suggesting? Like, this is how it works. I guess he's saying just find the player and allow him to keep playing. That's not a harsh enough penalty. I mean, I'm Trippier doesn't, you know, he, it's not like seventy thousand is nothing to him. But these guys are multimillionaires. I mean, it's it's not going to change his lifestyle. So, the the suspension is is the punishment. So I just I would just found that interesting. Like, okay, Diego, like, how do you exactly think that these things work? When a player breaks rules, they get suspended. Yeah. I'm sorry that your club is the cor- the collateral damage. I don't know. I don't know how else he wanted it to be handled. I think the fact that it, it the punishment was coming from another jurisdiction is what really really annoyed him. I think that's what really did it. I guess. Um, yeah. Well, I, I I I don't like. I I really don't like the way this is heading, Andrew. I, I really don't. And um. You know, I uh, like I said, I was I was home um, not so long ago, and when when I sit down now, it's nothing. Like the football is interrupting the gambling efforts. Oh, is it's, that right? Oh, one hundred percent. It's all pervasive, and I think rather than the rather than get over exercised about you know one player or you know Joey Barton, who Joey Barton's career was effectively his playing career was effectively ended by a ban. Like he didn't get to go out in his own terms. Um, I th- I think rather than doing that, we need a serious conversation about about football's relationship with gambling. Andrew, it's advert after advert after advert after advert, and then you turn the TV on, and every shirt is sponsored by some gambling company or another. It's insane. Well, the, milk, ab- the, mil- the mil- there's no putting milk back in the udder. No, it's, no, it's there isn't. Like, unfortunately, that that horse has bolted so long ago. But you know. I don't know how – I'm not trying to be disparaging of people who do it. Like, that's your business, and it's fine. It's legal. Go ahead. Have have fun, I guess, however you like. Me personally, I never I, – I play fantasy sports, but I never – I don't know. I never got into betting on games. Like, that was just never really – I had a brief period where I was into the accumulators, which was betting on results across a few different divisions. You know, you'd bet you're going to have a Cheltenham. Cheltenham are going to play Stevenage, and they're going to draw 
and then in Division One, Ipswich are going to play whoever, and they're going to it's going to be a win for Ipswich and stuff like that for a brief period. But honestly, I don't. I I never ever had the money that I felt I could waste. I'd sooner have a few pints rather than get rid of you know spend the money. Honestly, maybe I'm tight. Yeah, no, I get that. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's wind it down now. Huh? No, little... whoa, 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 hang on. Oh, one come second. on, for God's sake. Here, couple of things we need to make note of. Hey, listen, you you had you had too much boring stuff at the start. I've got to pad it out with some nice stuff. Um, I wanted your reaction to this in particular. Um, Philip Neville, according to ESPN, in line for the Inter Miami job, which <laughs> you've got nothing to say about that. Don't care. I yeah, I I. I think, uh, you know, the David Beckham, it seems like jobs for the boys. Let me employ one of my longest, my best friend's brother. And also a guy I played with who would and be. he's not just player. any guy, though. He ha- he does have management experience. Hmm. He does. Yeah, but even the way he got that job, you know, zero experience and then walked into the, the um, England women's team. And uh, the other thing I want to say was Matt Beasler is on his way to Austin. But with a witty Matthew McConaughey Lincoln advert parody to boot that you should watch on Twitter, pretty funny. Can we now finally get to the the yeah, final sorry. the final segment here, JJ, and, and do our red card to man of the match? The people want this, all right. So let's let's give it to them. I would like to go first here with my red card. Um, the FA Cup returns this weekend, but um, oh, the magic, if you will. Um, but it, we need our drops back. I know, but it, I know. In in one show, we talked about the Carabao Cup and the magic of the FA Cup, and we've got nothing to show for it. Um, <laughs> that was actually pretty good. Um, but it feels like the FA Cup's return is is a little bit hanging by a thread. And look no further right now than Derby County. I'm just going to read here from Sky Sports. Derby County have confirmed they will send a group of under 23 and under 18s to play in the FA Cup at Chorley on Saturday, following a coronavirus outbreak, which has closed their training ground. Uh, interim manager Wayne Rooney, his coaching staff, and the whole of Derby's first team squad are set to miss the match because of the outbreak. The entire team. Uh, you, we thought what happened, at, what was going on at Manchester City, was problematic. The entire first team. So it's a full. It's the full twenty threes that are going to play in that camp. And eighteens under twenty three. A combination of the under twenty threes and under eighteens are going to play in the it's FA just, Cup. Imagine um, you're Charlie. You thought you were going to come up against Wayne Rooney, and you're getting. The twenty threes. Yeah. Uh, now, there's also a little bit, a little bit of concern over the Southampton Shrewsbury match. Several members of Shrewsbury are in isolation. It is worth noting because this was something that was being wondered about that no club will automatically have to forfeit an FA Cup game if they are affected by coronavirus. Each case will be assessed by the FA on its individual circumstances. That's according to Sky Sports. Okay. So, I guess it's kind of. This is sort of a wait and see thing. I mean, this day by day, this will develop, and we'll find out whether or not certain matches will be off, replayed, canceled. I don't know, uh, but it's it's not great. It feels like the situation we're starting to hear more and more about uh, coronavirus really impacting this this season in a way that we kind of avoid. Well, I say in a way that we avoided. It, it only knocked off three months of of last season uh, with that you know that little gap in between the, the seasons, but. Yeah, this is now uh, starting to affect the league. So uh, my red card, Andrew. A lot of people woke up to this this morning, and it's uh, it's kind of funny. Um, so Copa ninety alerted me. Uh, their account alerted me to this. Um, sitting here this morning, admiring the pettiness of Royal Antwerp forward Didier Lamkelzy showing up tra- to training in a rival Anderlecht shirt as he tries to force a move to Panathinaikos. 
of course, of course, they didn't let him in. So it shows him trying to he's wearing the uh, the Anderlecht shirt and he's trying to get into the building and they've just locked him out. Amazing. What a yeah. what an like you talk what? about immature. Oh, it's so immature. It's unbelievable. Um, of course, this went viral, and I think it prompted him to, you know, like if he, if you want to get a move, buddy, and you want to go to another club, they want to know that they're not signing an absolute weapon. So, so I guess he tweet he uh, he he apologized and he said, "I sincerely I sincerely apologize to the club." and the Antwerp supporters, because they are magnificent and wonderful fans who have always supported me. If I reacted like that, it is because my head was elsewhere with the transfer. It wasn't easy for me. I'm so sorry for my actions. I won't forget how my teammates and the technical staff have supported me in the dressing room since my arrival here. I'm ready for the club if a, if a new coach needs me. I hope to be in front of the supporters very soon on the pitch. <laughs> Like Boy, what he's lying down. He's really gonna he says that the supporters have always supported him. He's really gonna put that always to the test. <laughs> that always and, and by the way, also th- that apology, I, I don't remember the team, but uh that that only came after he did it a second time with another one of Antwerp's rivals. No, he was going to and thought better of. Oh, I thought he actually did it. No, he had the other jersey ready to go <laughs> and stopped himself. <laughs> oh man. Jesus. Sounds like a good teammate. It's, it's crazy. It's even, I mean, we've heard about forcing transfer moves. The, the the daddy of them all is Peter Odom Wingy driving to QPR and being in the parking lot. <laughs> oh, that was I so actually funny. felt sorry for him. Watching that, oh, yeah. I actually felt like I, I could feel the embarrassment through him. And, and yeah. I just that whole situation makes me cringe. Um, let's I remember see now, Sky- JJ. I remember Sky interviewing him and he had to roll down the window. And as he's been interviewed, there's people, he's making them like, he's signing autographs. Like, and he's just like, well, I drove here, you know, because I'm hoping something can happen. Oh, oh man. Oh, let's see now. My uh, man of the match. Here we go. It's been speculated on for weeks. And now it seems it is, well, not seems it is official. Greg Vanny, JJ taking over as manager of the LA Galaxy. Um, Fascinating job because, I mean, obviously they're one of the league's biggest clubs, so it's a job that, that comes with a lot of expectation regardless. But, you know, like teams have head coach openings for a reason, and they've had a lot of them recently. Yeah. Like this is So regardless of, of whatever the stature is of that club, he's walking into, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, a rebuild. Uh, they've been out of the postseason for three of the last four seasons. It's not a good team right now. Um, but I suppose that's why he may be an ideal choice if you look at him, because obviously, you know, it's been so well documented what he did for Toronto FC. They hadn't made the playoffs in, in any of their seven years of existence. He came in and immediately got them to the playoffs three years in, has them winning the treble. So like this is I would say this isn't beyond him by any means. I think that he's he's well suited for this. Uh This gives you an idea of where the Galaxy are at with Vanny coming in. This is from Kevin Baxter with the LA Times. He says, since Bruce Arena left in 2016, the Galaxy have gone through 66 players, three general managers, and four coaches. Wow. Guillermo Barros Chiletto, the only coach to make it through a full season in that time, was fired in October with his dispirited team in the Western Conference cellar. 
So like we said, big job to take over, but if anyone's cut out to, to take it on, Vanny is the guy. Good hire for the Galaxy, and good for Vanny, too, to return to a club that means a lot to him. Uh, he spent much of his career there as a player. So um, I, think it's, I think it's a good match, and I'll be curious to see if he can turn them around as quickly as he was able to turn around Toronto. He certainly seems like a guy that's equipped to do it, and we, we wish him the best of luck. Yep. Um, my man of the match, Andrew, I've selected two FA Cup minnows. Now that you've taken the complete gloss off the tournament, I've decided uh, we usually in our what to watch for talk about the minnows. So I just want to do this very quickly. So uh, the two that kind of stood out for me, Borum Wood will play Millwall in the FA Cup on Saturday at 7 a.m. We assume this will happen. Uh, Borum Wood are in the first, their first FA Cup third round in their history, having beaten Canvey Island in the last round. They're based in Herefordshire. They were founded in 1948. They play in the fifth tier of English football in the Vanarama National League. Hmm. The game will be played at Borum's home ground of Meadow Park. And the second team is Marine, who will play the Tottenham Hotspurs at 12 uh, p.m. on Sunday. Um, they're from Merseyside, and they'll take the field at Rossett Park against Spurs. This will be Marine's first top-flight opposition in the FA Cup. They play in the eighth tier of English football. That's the Northern Premier League Division One Northwest. They were found in 1894, only two years after their more illustrious neighbours, Liverpool. The Guinness Book of Records notes Marine manager Roly Howard as the longest-serving manager in world football. He managed Marine from 1972 to 2005 that's 1975 games uh, former uh, liverpool and republic of ireland international jason mcateer he started his career with marine it is expected that marine will have 55 percent of the possession against tottenham uh, very clever you're very <laughs> clever uh, oh, funny guy they're the eighth tier what did you say is the actual league that they're in i felt like you said a, a lot of words there to describe they're, where they play the northern premier league division one northwest <laughs> So, um, so the Northern Premier League proper is, uh, as I understand it, is uh, the seventh tier, and then the eighth tier is divided between the Northern Premier League Division One Northwest and North, I think, Northeast. I'll say this: I mean, look, obviously, I want Tottenham to win, but it's one of those, again, one of those days where you're kind of bummed that there can't be fans. Oh, like absolutely. that would be like what a cool experience for them to welcome in a team like that and Mourinho and like just to have that day, uh, that would have been cool, but nah, nah, there we are. It's, it's, it's a real shame, but I hope for people who can watch the FA cup on ESPN plus that maybe they'll, they'll tune into those games. Yep. So there you go, my friend, big pot. That is it. Yep. The, uh, the Carabao cup Running semis uh, are in the book. Our thanks to Liam Toomey of, uh, the athletic for joining us to break down Chelsea uh, this was fun. JJ, I hope you you take in Bridgerton. I want to hear your full report. I'll say that. did not sell it. What's that? No, yeah, no, I, I didn't. It's because I think I was just kind of bitter. Because like, so I've been wanting to rewatch um, 1917 because it's on demand, which is one of, it's like you you and I talked about that movie. We think it's stunning. Incredible, that movie. Uh, but I wanted to watch it with Amanda. She's never seen it. And uh, I think war movies are not really her thing. So she keeps putting it off. And she's like, okay, well, I don't know, not tonight. How about this? And so we wound up binging Virgin River on Netflix. I'm like, that's not a fair trade. So yeah. that ended. And I was like, okay, like, how about now? Can we now watch 1917? And she's like, uh, I don't know. I heard this was good. And next thing I know, Bridgerton's on. I was like, these aren't, these aren't fair trades. These are not things that are like really within the realm of what I want. If you don't want to watch 1917, fine. But like, can we compromise? 
So I think I went into it with a bad attitude because I wanted to be watching a, a World War One uh, work of art. Um, yeah. So yeah. So that that maybe clouds it a little bit. I am currently reading Champagne Football: The Betrayal, The Rise and Fall of John Delaney, and the Betrayal of Irish Football. Um, Andrew, currently the Irish soccer team, international team. Neither the women's or the men's senior teams have sponsors. There is no sponsor for the team. The league, or sorry, the association is 75 million euros in debt. So Is that not good? That's not good, Andrew. Um, and in COVID times, that's only going to get worse. And I'm reading about uh, the former chief executive who created all this mess, John Delaney. Uh, this book, you don't have to be from Ireland to enjoy this. This is one of the best books I've ever read about financial and sporting mismanagement it's it makes me so angry and it's just so entertaining at the same time Hmm. well that is selling it no it's very very good i recommend it to everyone out there you should get well good stuff we'll let that siren take us out tonight on this podcast (laughs) i'll tell you it's been a day for sirens that's for sure good point hey good stuff man to you i say check you later fun boy see ya take care man Side Soccer Podcast.